Warning. This is a world of heroes and villains, of adventure and adversity, of love and death. The characters portrayed in these stories come from varied walks of life, not all of them healthy, and the journey ahead is dangerous. Sessions may include strong language, suggestive situations, alcohol or drug use, depictions of violence against anyone and everyone, speciesism, classism, social elitism, self-harm, slavery, and death of characters or NPCs. The world can be a dark place, and sometimes bad things happen to good people. If these things make you uncomfortable, you may want to consider alternative listening, but ultimately, only you can decide whether or not this is the show for you. If it isn't, you're under no obligation to say, we hope you find what you're looking for. If it is, then we hope you enjoy the show. And we are live, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us this evening. I am, of course, the narrator. And uh, tonight, we have a guest. This is Vanadia Origins, a hunter hunted. And why don't you introduce yourself this evening? Well, hello. I am Amaria Rose Hunt. I am the smart one of the group. You could say, I, I I think so, at least, but uh, it's very nice to meet everyone. I'm not quite sure what else I would like to introduce myself as other than smart one. Absolutely. Um, I can understand that. Uh, as far as the game, as far as the group goes and you play through, um, you have a, an appreciation for uh, your particular elemental proclivities and how they uh, play out in the environment and with uh, everyone involved. At least I try. You're, I can't live down the boat thing. <laughs> you know, the, it happens. Uh, it was a moment of impulse. You were beset by creepy fish monsters. Um, I mean, I got all of them off the boat except for the ones on the boat. That is an accurate statement. That's absolutely true. Um, I would, uh, let, I'd like to start things by uh, asking you, why not Amaria Dracos? That's very personal. Um, imagine living a life with a name that you hated. It's a name that no one really knew, but they only knew you because of what you could do. Certainly. No one knew Amaria Hunt, but a lot of people knew who Amario, Amaria Dracos was. My bad. It's okay. Many mispronounce it. Hunt's easy. It's... I'm sure we'll go over the fall incident when everything fell apart with the court, but... Of course. Living I, with that last name is very difficult. I can understand that. Your life before that started very simple. A, a simple life for somebody with a heavy name. Um, a child, just another child in the slums of Sarza. A desert city known for the blistering heat of the sun and the dryness of the desert, but 
being a phlegm tallow, you were of the best. Uh, um, it was a little cool. Yeah, I could imagine. Uh, good for you to be in that place. Always comfortable. The best disposition for scalding hot desert climate. Um, difficult, though, considering Sarsa and the uh, constant presence of undead in the city. Uh, inside the main proper, where the lord and the nobles and the townsfolk are, everything is very protected. The walls are high, the gates are strong, the guards are very present and very motivated. But for your family, stationed in the slums on the outside, um, without that wall and without those well-armored and well-compensated soldiers... The nights, I imagine, were quite terrifying for many of them. Um, perhaps not something you remember very much, considering you were very, very young, young. born and then up to the age of three in there before things changed. Before I was chosen. Yes. Just you and your mother Tabitha and your Nona Rose just living in a little house down there. Mm-hmm putting something it, heavy in front of the door every night to make sure that uh, no unexpected visitors came in. Did your mother ever tell you anything about your father? He was a man that she heard of. Didn't Doesn't really quite remember her name from at least the stories that she told me. But he was well known. And I guess... He held a presence from what she said, and that's what made her fall for him. It was only one night, but she said it felt like more. The but, uh, the nobles, those of well mean of good means and good breeding and great skill, have a ten, have a have a sense of charm about them that they can lay on people. Probably something that helped contribute to your mother's rabid fascination with the idea of being noble. I mean, not that you could fault anybody for looking at life and going, how could I make it better? How could I get further along? How could I improve the life I have and the life of my child and the life of my mother than to aspire and to dream of a better place? For her, it was always the jewels. After she saw what the nobility basically war she fell in love she saw everything as a prized possession you know nothing wrong with shinies i think we all have a weak spot for them at some point some more than others certainly you were born a phlegm tallow possessed of a natural ability to create and to control fire uh small amounts of course you were very young but um with the potential to grow and then when the gift of wind came as well and you fa- and they discovered that you weren't just a phlegm tallow, that you were an etoile. That was a huge thing for your mother, wasn't it? She... At first, we didn't really notice. She saw it more in my seed core and she was really worried as to what was happening. And once she found out from what my grandmother said... You could see the dollar signs in her eyes. 
she was very proud, but not in a way a mother would be. Excited for the opportunity it represented. Apparently so. Well, I mean, things considered, it did go well for all of you. Um, She reached (laughs) out to the nobles and she received a swift reply from the capital. They were excited to have another etoile come forward. They're only one in a thousand. Their births are so rare. Um, It must have been exciting for them to have more of them come out. And But to have you, a precious miracle child, um, living in a place like the slums of Sarsa wouldn't do. That's no place for you to receive the kind of tutelage and the kind of upbringing that you deserved as a child gifted by Fallon. So um, you and your mother and your Nona were whisked away and you got to leave the desert behind and you spent your younger days growing up at the Maraska plantation in Aria, which all things considered must have been wonderful for you to replace barren desert with the lush forest with the plantation set on the edge of Aria. You had miles of untouched wilderness hunting, hunting grounds for the nobles to ride through as your backyard trees and undergrowth and animals and all of that to explore. What was that like for you, to to have so much untouched wilderness at your hands? It was beautiful. Um, While I was young, I didn't have much freedom, but the only time I was free was when I got to sneak off and go into the wilderness. So we would be doing lessons outdoors and I would ask for water or something and just slip away. There's nothing that beats a summer breeze as you're standing in the middle of a meadow, looking out at the treetops, seeing the squirrels, the wildlife living there, being free. It makes you feel almost free yourself. But of course, course. go ahead. No, please. Uh, That was about it. It, it's, it sounds like it was a, a very good experience for you. I mean, you spent... The life you had there was very different. You you had your tutors with for your education. Um, and then you had your, your Nona to help you learn and channel your elemental powers. Um, yes. The meanwhile, your mother got to rub elbows with the Maraska family and the other nobles through extension. Um, Duke, uh, Duke Corsiva and, uh, of course, uh, Duke, uh, Kenoda, both, uh, very happy to have your family there. Um, given the nature of the parties and the social aspect of things, your mother was welcome you inherited her looks obviously she was a very attractive woman thank you i suppose um you grew up you reached out you you explored uh life in all the woods you you saw the animals you uh saw them go out on hunts and bring back fresh game so death was something you were exposed to the way capacity. of life. Um, but 
death for you has always been more than just a way of life, though. You, it's a little closer for you than that, isn't it? Like I said, it's a way of life. Depends on how you look at it. Well, most people, when they think of death, don't look at it as the spirits afterward. That's understandable, seeing how they don't see them. But you do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can't honestly recall when it first started. I know I've heard stories of friends that couldn't be seen. But it's always been something that's been there. Well, sure. Children have always had a proclivity for imaginary friends. You were seven. Um, it wasn't a strange idea for you to have imaginary friends to talk to, to run and play with that nobody saw and never thought much of. But it was um, it was when the monsters showed up. It was when the nightmares became real. When the thing in your closet wasn't just scared away when the candles came out and they opened the door. They couldn't see it, but it was still there. Something that's hard, definitely, especially at such a young age. It, I honestly don't recall most of it, I'm sure. But what I live with now, it's a way of life. I, I don't know how to explain it to those who can't experience what you ex experience, you know. You were seven years old. And there was something standing at the end of your bed. It always was. It was dark. And it would come by while you were laying there and you'd pull the covers up over your head because you called. You could hear the din of the parties downstairs, the clink of glasses, the laughter, the murmurs, the odd guests sneaking up to the rooms upstairs for privacy. And there were times where you would have to scream bloody murder for somebody to come and turn the light up, to bring a, a flame in and try to dispel that thing standing there breathing in your ear or a raspy gurgle in the dark. And then your grandma made it go away. She came in and with a bark a commanding word, more authority than you'd ever heard in your Nona's sweet voice, and it made itself scarce. And that was when she told you that you weren't just Amaria Rose Dracos, the Etoile gifted with wind and fire, but that you had a different, more dark, dark. legacy. Tell us, tell our guests about that newfound and perhaps less exciting legacy. It's not what you would expect. A lot of folks would think that you could see happy things, but you don't think of, like you said, the nightmares. I don't remember much, but... I do remember always being nervous at night, always not knowing whether I'm speaking with 
a new person or if it's just someone that I can see. Thankfully, when my grandmother helped me, she showed me a lot of things that could help me deter the two. It was really confusing, especially at such a young age. Indeed, your grandmother was a chroma. She had learned and been one for a long while, but she had never, she didn't stumble into the gift as young as you were. She was a teenager. She was well on her way to her own things when she discovered it. But for you, it was difficult and she was essential. And especially with how your mother responded to finding out that her golden ticket came with a, a less than savory price. Yeah, that... Thankfully, it wasn't when I was younger. It waited until I was a teenager. But as she slowly started to learn, you could tell my value to her deteriorated. A little bit, perhaps, but she still hung on. You were still her opportunity. Um, And your grandmother's tutelage helped helped you start keeping things under control a little more. The, uh, the public outbursts about the things that you saw became less because your grandmother helped you start to differentiate between the things that nobody else would see and to help you come to grips with the idea that as long as you didn't give it the attention, as long as you didn't let them know that you could see them, Pretend they're not there. They keep going. It was really hard, especially when you have screaming in your ears. Yeah. Because they would know, especially when you look right towards them. Well, That's, of course. You can see them. Well, you know, the, the, the restless dead are never restless because they are happy and, and they had wonderful lives and they're just absolutely content they're always restless because they were cut short and they're angry or they were violent or they were dangerous or they were just mad uh, a difficult thing for a child to handle you can say that again <laughs> it was it was fortunate that you had family to help you at least you had your grandmother for that And then when you turned 15, it was when your mother began the marital meetings. Yep. I no longer served value as a child. It was time to become a bride. That's when my lessons started for etiquette, how to be the proper etoile. Well, you know, your mother... The, the hard life that she'd had to lead was beginning to catch up with her. She didn't draw the same kind of attention that she did before. Uh, the Dukes were very... Their whole social circle was very open about a lot of things. And the marriage ceremonies were a suggestion by your grandmother because she was afraid that your mother might consider introducing you to the dukes in much the same way she had. 
keeping on in the same way that she had kept your grandmother with her. Sadly. Thankfully, we got away from that and I met Tarvek. That was a, an interesting night. A night of dancing with young candidates, men from different walks of life, little barely 16 Amaria with dancing with young men your age ready to go to the academy fresh-faced dancing with soldiers of commission taller than you and wearing their a shiny medal or two on their breast to try and catch your eye to show you that they were providers, that they were good warriors, that they were strong men of great stamina and virility, especially as uh, things went. You were young and pretty and a and an etoile, um quite the commodity. That I was. It was very flashy. I remember tripping over the dress multiple times but not being noticed because I was the hot commodity of the party certainly that and uh, let's I want to take you back to that for a moment because I want to know what happened for you you were there dancing with a young soldier um, who was trying his best not to peer at your cleavage as he whisked you about the floor. Um, And the lights and the sound and perhaps for a little bit there it became easier to think less about why you were out there and more about at least there were young attractive men paying you and I, you know, interested in who you were, not attached to your mother. It was nice. You definitely feel smaller. I recall one gentleman just towered over me. And at that point, you realize that maybe in the world, even though you're something so big to everyone around you, that you're not as big as you think you are, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And as you spun on that floor in that dance, you caught sight of your of your Nona smiling and watching you and as you would go and then you'd come back around you'd see her again you'd come back and you'd see her again and then at one point it struck you as odd that she was standing there in her sleeping gown and she smiled and she waved with one hand and then one of the servers with his platter walked through her. That's what I knew. That was when you knew that she died. That it's a really hard moment. You'd you'd survived because of her. You'd come to terms with the scariest parts of your life and she had in a lot of ways that you hadn't thought about but realized in that moment she had been a buffer between you and your mother. She was in the safe space anymore. Indeed. And 
I blew up? Literally. Just a, a, a sob. And just a, a racking sob. And the soldier let go, stunned. And the music buckled as you, as it came again. And everything, the reality of the situation started to close in. And when that that next one came and it wasn't just a sob, it was a sh- just that pent up, all that rage Anger. and that terror and everything. And all of a sudden, the ballroom was a hurricane of fire. I, would, I wouldn't say a hurricane. Maybe like sprinkled with fire. It wasn't that bad. The tapestries began to, to burn. The chandeliers began to warp. Guests were on fire. The musicians panicked. The serving crew fled. The, the small uh, bar station with its bottles of spirits licked it by the flame and in a devastating blast the southern wall of the uh, of the plantation house was open and spewing fire and air into the night and it was peaceful if you think about it sounds odd but well, after were... seeing everything that didn't recognize you were dissipated alone for the first time in your entire life in that moment just kneeling there clutching at your dress with the wind and the fire creating this devastating barrier between you and the party guests and your mother and everything else just quiet while you have the space to panic to to just to let the emotions wash over you and then someone came through the fire and he picked you up sobbing and just absolutely wrecked and exhausted and he held you did his best to cradle you half on fire your dress smoldering in places until finally the fire began to smolder and the wind began to die down and the stress of the situation took its toll and unconsciousness rushed up on you. It's intense, to say the least. I don't think many people could say that they've been in a situation like that. When it's very you, difficult. Yeah. When you woke up that later then in the room you'd stayed in attached to your mother's room there. You could hear voices outside. You could hear your mother's frantic pacing stalking back and forth of the room that that click 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 of those ridiculously expensive shoes 
It's really odd. I remember sitting there, not recalling what happened, thinking it was all a dream. But once you hear the clicking and mother frantically rushing about, you, she was that's when you know. Out there going, going on about how disgraceful this was. How, I don't know what to do. Now she's, she's ruined everything. She, she's, she's burned a third of the plantation house down. The, the Marascas aren't going to want me to stay. I'm going to have to go back to Sarsa. Live in the slums. With my daughter, the firebomb. And every, and just her, her devastation. Her selfish devastation. And you could see a figure standing there quietly while she while she vomited uh, her her indignations. And then his voice quiet and strong and dark. And he said Mr. Akos, I would like to I would like to ask you to take your daughter's hand in marriage. And how she stopped in that moment. And she turned and said, I'm I'm sorry, what? You you were there. You pulled her out of the fire. He said, I know. I, 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 I stand by my convictions, ma'am. I would like to ask you for permission to take your daughter's hand in marriage. And through that crack in the door, you could see him standing there, dressed in dark clothing, well-tailored to fit him, but things he didn't look from the look of his face. These weren't the types of clothes he preferred. He was dressed like the other nobles, but he was built like a man who worked. His hands were strong and calloused. It's like a wolf in sheep's clothing. His hair black with just the barest bit of salt and pepper at the temples. Pulled back. His eyes almost luminous in the tan of his face, the color of burnt orange rinds. You could see the the upraised scar tattoos on the side of his face. That was the first time you saw Tarbeck. It was uh, not technically the first, I mean, Kind of that I remember. But yes, you'd seen him around. <laughs> you'd seen him around. He was part of things. Tarvek was wealthy. He was He's... well to do. He had his share of admirers, women and men, in the courts. But he wasn't a, a big fan of all of it. He he worked more than anything. Was very respectable. And when, Before. when the words 
of when the words that he had said to your mother sunk in, she was elated again because she was still in the game. It, it was that was going to happen, and she said, that's, "That's wonderful. That that's fantastic. We'll 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 find it. We'll find um, a, a priest, or or uh, we'll find um, a prior or a prioress to to run the ceremony. We can we can find. I'm sure she's got a dress here that'll do, and we can get this taken care of." And he stepped up and he he put a hand on lightly in your mother's arm and he said, "I don't think this is something that should be rushed. I'm." more than twice her age, old enough to be your father. Um, perhaps you should give her a chance to get to know me first. Let her come stay with me in Daggerstan for a month. See the life I have to, to get to know who I am before she decides whether or not she will have me. She says, well, why wouldn't she have you? You're, you're so wealthy, and, and you have all these... And just the same. Out of respect for your daughter, I think she should have the right to choose. I, uh, I will await your reply. And he left. It, I don't know how to, it was really weird after everything that someone still wanted my hand in marriage. I was, I was elated to be able to not have to worry about keeping up a proper representation because that's definitely what my mother would want. Well, at that point, I think your mother was just excited to think that her golden goose was still there. Yeah, which it definitely was. <laughs> so she, uh, she, she, she did her best to wait before she had you pack your things and had you sent to Dagger's Den to meet your your prospective future husband, Tarvik Kestrel, to, to meet the man where he worked. He was 6'2", large, dark, with an intensity in his eyes. And when he, when you met him at, the ho at his home, he took your hand and led you down from the carriage. And he escorted you in. He showed you the house. It was fairly modest. Large, with a few good features. A large library which he used as an office. Um, good, a good cellar with plentiful food and lots of wine. Um, the serving staff were interesting. Not like the ones you'd met at the other houses. These were people that he'd hired from the street to come and work for him. They, their life showed they had scars. They had their, their clothes were somewhat rumpled in places. Not crisp and pristine like you'd seen, but they worked hard. 
they did their best and they were polite to you. You were the young mistress. Whenever they greeted you, good morning, young mistress. What would you like for breakfast today? Would you like to go for a walk out on the docks today, young mistress? I believe Tarvik is working out there today as we speak. It was very nice. They definitely were very formal. Uh, I always still felt alone, even when I had everyone around to help, even with Tarvik as kind as he was at that time. It was, uh, you had freedom, more than you'd had for a long time. You could walk the city as you wanted, although he did make a point of telling you which areas were places where you might meet unsavory folks, so if you were going to go through that area to take one of the staff with you so that you had an escort for your own safety. Pretty sure I almost always had an escort. It's just I didn't always see them. Well, that's fair. You weren't always looking for them either. No, it. The city itself was so vast. I mean, there's so much you could do well, that, and see. That in the beginning, you didn't. You didn't doubt his intentions. Mm-mm. In it was the be- blissful. In the beginning, when he was there with you and he would smile at you whenever you came into the room and he would pull out your chair whenever he walked with you places he always put a hand lightly on the inside of your arm or along the small of your back keeping he was very much a gentleman keeping you, you with space for the sake of properness, as you were a young lady and not wed, but at the same time showing some modicum of possessiveness to you, to show other people that you were with him, that he was with you. And he would work the days, sometimes long days. He wouldn't come home until late in the evening, tired. He worked hard. You got used to seeing him. The fact that the only time you ever saw him in that noble's outfit was when he was dealing with them the rest of the time. He was a a leather breeches and a jerk and dressed like the other people who worked on the docks. He had a coat he would wear with his uh, smoking pipe in the pocket. It smelled like song grass and beech wood but beyond that his clothes were just the same as anyone else you saw working the docks and he was out there with them all the time working right next to men below his station he was very humble I could definitely say when it comes to his job and you could tell that he cared about everyone he works for unless they crossed him but he was very when I first met him, he was very respectable It was after very that. kind. It was after that when he went on his business trip that things got, well, that you heard different things, wasn't it? When he was gone for a month's time. It was difficult, definitely, especially since I wasn't able to return with my normal time span since I was only supposed to be there for a month. You got held up 
and he apologized profusely for being taken away on business, but that he would return as soon as he could. But when he was gone, that was when you began to hear the whispers around town. When you'd go places, you'd notice the people talking behind your back. They'd say that you were the young woman with uh, Harbor Master Kestrel. Yeah, the first, uh, a warm, perhaps a, a positive thing at first to think it, it wouldn't be so bad to be the woman with a man like him until you heard <laughs> things like the poor deer. You heard them talk about how they wouldn't dare cross the men, how dangerous they thought he could be, the rage in his face. And then the more you listened and the more you dug into the town to hear more about it, slipping out and visiting the bars down by the shipyard at night to hear the workers come in and you heard a different story. You heard about how hard he could be on the workers. Made me question whether he was respectable at all. It was that that curiosity is what created the problem for you, wasn't it? When yeah, you yeah, could say that. I wanted to find out more. I basically would listen down at the harbors and since no one, well, if you have a hood on, no one could really see your face. So you could listen in to a few people every now and then. And the then problem one is when someone home, found you. One night on your way home from that, you were recognized. It was just a strike to the back of your head, stars and darkness. And, and then you woke up tied to a chair in a dark warehouse, gagged, head throbbing. I don't know which was worse. I didn't know where I was or the fact that it was dark. I couldn't see anything. And then they came forward. Sneering faces. Dark eyes, murderous intent. The leader pulled the knife off his belt, leaned down and said, Oh, look at you. Tavik's found himself a nice pretty piece he has. You look like a real sweet thing, don't you? You would think that, huh? He, uh, smiles. As he looks back at his buddies and he says, You know, this is a good one. I think, I think I want to have a sample of what the good life leads for Tarvek. I want to, I want to see what the harbor master has when he goes home for dinner. As he uh, reaches in with one knife and he just plucks up at the corner strap on your dress that day. And that fire is just bristling. Just churning away inside you, begging for release. I tried to burn away at the cuffs, but... My fire wouldn't wouldn't form. focus because that fire 
It didn't catch your cuffs, but that man's shoes smoked. The leather and the rubber soles and the oil in his boots from working there caught fire real quick. And suddenly it was less about what they thought they could get from a pretty young girl, and it was more just how angry they were. And the beating started. And it was savage. And mercifully, you weren't awake for most of it. It's violent, I wasn't. And then you woke up safe back in uh, back in the room at Tarvex. It was nice, but at what cost? The everything that I learned. I was in a dangerous house. I got kidnapped because he's to be my husband how do i trust him and how would i know that i would still be alive i don't know who's what saved me i don't know if i got out myself it's, it was insane it was not long after that it was the following morning when tarvik appeared and said that uh given what happened he was afraid that it wasn't safe for you. That you needed to go back to stay with your mother. That he would take care of some things and... Then, afterwards, you could come back and... You guys could talk and plan the marriage. Make everything official. Yeah, I was just happy to go home. Absolutely. So they took you and Tarvek escorted you to the carriage, took you out to the boatyard to see you off. And his eyes, his face was sad to see you go. His face was shameful that you had been hurt in his keep. But the rage in his eyes was unmistakable I'm a flintalo I understand fire and I definitely saw it you went home and you were brought in the, the help staff commented they were glad you were safe that they'd heard about the ordeal and they were so glad you're okay and your mother was absolutely beside herself and she didn't know what to do and she was terrified and you got home and the first thing she did was light into you about how you could fuck this up too. About how you had this good man sitting there and you could have just seal the deal and had it in and everything would be good but you had to screw this up you had to go out and get yourself in trouble and have him send you home because you went out and you got yourself in a stupid fucked up place as if I wanted to be kidnapped <laughs> and god you know I, it's just like you I just can't believe it I just can't fucking believe it. I swear to God, 
when that man comes back, I, I don't care what you have to do. Make sure you don't let that glow. Don't let him get away. I don't. I don't care if you have to throw your dress off the moment you get in that wagon with him. But you better make sure you don't fuck this up again, Amaria. And that's when I knew I was nothing. I wasn't a daughter to her. And then later that night, when you heard her talking to the servants to send the letter out to Tarvek to tell him that the the you were beside yourself and the marriage needed to happen now, that he needed to come right away so this could be done, so that you could be where you were destined to spend the rest of your life. Terrified me. I just hearing how excited she was to have me gone, to have her own beautiful place that I would never be able to see. It's when I realized that I needed to do something to escape. I don't know how, I didn't know when, whether it was at Dagger's Den or later, I had it. I had to find my own freedom, like back in the forest. So it was an appropriate time. You fled to the shipyard, thinking the easiest way to get away would be a boat. The Aria shipyards are huge. Surely you could go somewhere. Anywhere. But it, it didn't work out that way, and... The next day, your mother was packing you up on a boat, sending you off to get married. I got away. It's just not where I wanted to go. <laughs> Walked Sadly into enough. Dagger's Den and just kept walking. Carried yourself out right out of town. It was okay. nice. Up until the bandits happened? Yeah, it, it was very it was very nice up until I was robbed. Um, it was a little nerve-wracking thinking that someone might recognize me Absolutely. as Tarbeck's wife-to-be. Yeah. And, but as I walked further and further away from whatever was to meet me there, I felt free. I, it kept me going. Yep. And then the bandit attack. Yeah, that was... <clears throat> he came out of nowhere. I remember walking close towards the forest where it was a little harder to see when he popped out. And he tried to go automatically for my seed core. Unfortunately, since I left the shipyard, I didn't have anything to hide the fact that I was an Etoile. So he knew right away what I was and how valuable I am. You but you found didn't... yourself back in that same place with people and weapons attacking you, afraid that this might be the end of it for you. And I just felt the heat before I even thought before I knew it, he caught a flame. 
18 years old and you had taken your first life in self-defense. No one could blame you for that, but that's a, a weight to carry. It would be more of a weight if I didn't do it, wouldn't you think? I do. Trying to figure out how to get away, the, the logical choice must have seemed like getting on a getting in a wagon, smuggling yourself onto ship to get out. I mean, afraid of Tarvek's notice and all of his people. Definitely. We... I don't know why I said we. It was very... At that moment, I realized that I, I, I was alone. I'd never been alone before and I had to figure out where I needed to go how to get away because unbeknownst to me I could there could be multiple enemies near me so thankfully I ran into someone really kind I was fortunate that Annalie came through shortly after that yeah it was as a Fallon Center himself I've gotten tired and I was ready to just quit. And then the wagon rolled through with that Amazonian six foot four black woman on there. (laughs) She's uh, such a kind soul. I recall just her stopping and looking at me as if she didn't really realize that I was an etoile. She just saw a person on the side of the road who looked tired and needed a place to sleep. And she offered her help. She didn't care who I was, what I've done. She just knew I needed her. And she kept you safe and covered. And you told her all about where you'd gone, the story that you'd carried pent up just kind of spilled out. She didn't her. believe me until I showed her that I could do fire. <laughs> she is, Annalie is of many things, but brilliant, not one of them. Definitely not, but I think her charisma and her spark definitely makes up for that. She, I've never met anyone so wholehearted as Annalie. And you can tell it by her work as well. Yep. She is a gifted blacksmith and she took you with her. She smuggled you onto that ship and as much as you were afraid, she took you with her and the next time the sun sun came up and you were a new woman in the city of Shavar staying with Annalie and Making things. Being that was flirted with <laughs> continuously by a strapping young man in a hunter's cabin. Colton uh, Colton definitely found an excuse to come by more once uh, you were staying with Emily. Colton's very nice, but just like a lot of the men in the court, it, I understood that he was intrigued with me, but 
I liked him more as a person rather than a romantic partner. Well, but, um, to be fair, I think a young man <laughs> in a back town village like that was less about romance and more about something else. Other, yeah, no, we, yeah, yeah. As much as I'd like to, I'd like to say, yeah, he's still a good, good man. Well, it doesn't make him a bad, a bad man that he, no, that his his judgment is slightly impaired by, um, <laughs> pretty girls and yeah, that that's a good one, that's a good way to put it. But living there, in the uh, hunting, learning your new trade and taking a name for it, Amaria Hunt, a little on the nose maybe, but um, Not close enough. You can guess what I can do. It's okay. It, it's a fair descriptor. Um, but it was an interesting path for you to take in the end, don't you think? To have gone from elemental child to golden child to to be wed to the wealthy and potentially terrifying Tarvet Kestrel. On one hand, the woman to be the queen of a shipping magnet's kingdom. And on the other hand, to... Uh, find yourself traveling around with a ragtag group of adventurers you hardly know, electrifying vessels and looking for opportunities to throw fireballs in close proximity. It's freedom. It's what I always wanted ever since I was back at the plantation. Having the ability to shock a ship, whether it's being held up by... Uh, there's Sorellum, or sorry, or have the ability to throw a fireball. That was many things that I wouldn't have seen when I was younger. And the adventure that we experience every day going through the, cat- the catacombs, being able to meet so many different people. I mean, there's a talking raccoon in our group let alone the tall green giant that we go with, not to mention our porky pig. We're we're not even going to go there. And then meeting someone that's just like me, but learning how to situate with each other because we do have different backgrounds and different aspects to each other. It's, this group's definitely misfits for sure, but there's a lot more behind each of them and it's really intriguing. I think that's what keeps me around. I was gonna say, what is it that, that keeps you with uh, uh, this band of questionably aligned individuals? The intrigue is a good answer, I think. You know, I have definitely questioned myself a lot when it comes to us being together, trusting them, because there's been many times where you don't know who to trust, especially during my life. And no matter what, each time I'm with this group, we go through and we find a way out, whether it's a little hard, you have to go to a jail, which we're currently still in the scariest place I think I've been besides when I got kidnapped. Uh, 
and just seeing places I don't think I ever would have seen. That's what I really like about this group. I mean, I have a year left, well, less than a year, and then I have to go back. You're, uh, you're forming interesting relationships. You, uh, you have a, an interestingly combative one with Riker. And um, you and Halstead have been very, you, you've been very close. You've, you've formed a sort of bond of having each other's backs recently. Well, let's be honest. We all love Halstead, but he is a three-foot teddy bear. He's just, I'm so used to seeing raccoons back in the plantation that seeing something very similar, a lot pretty obvi prettier, obviously, better fur coat, smells like cinnamon. He smells like cinnamon. How, I, I don't even, we're not even going to uncover that, but it's, I don't know. And the fact that I learn things, I'm, I can say Every time, or every time we speak, I learn something new from Halstead. And Riker, I think I see myself in him, which is why we're definitely kind of, we butt heads. You know, there's a, there's a lot of murmur in the ship community about um, Riker and Amaria. Yeah, that's not a thing. <laughs> That's definitely. I don't know what ships are, but I, I don't. I don't sail, so. That's fair enough. All right, I think that's. A, I think that's a good place for us to end things. Um, it's good to know that, considering how dark your journey's been up to this point, you've uh, found yourself a ray of light, perhaps an awkward ray of light in some ways, but a very good one nonetheless. Yeah, it's about finding the little things in life to keep you going. Like three-foot-tall furry things? Listen, man, he has an aura of calm. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, thank you for joining us tonight, for sharing your story with uh, the, the internet at large and our entire audience. It's been wonderful to have you, and... I think uh, we're all excited to see what the next uh, segment of our story holds. And I can't wait to see it as well. It's definitely getting entertaining. Thank Absolutely. you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure as always. Thank you everyone for coming. And uh, I think we'll see you all in the days to come. Good night, Internet. Nice night. <laughs> we love you. <laughs>